So this was supposed to originally be part of episode two of these reaction episodes, but 20 minutes into my conversation with Ian, which is where I was trying to cap those reaction conversations, I knew I needed to keep going. So Ian is getting his own episode. This is not going to be the last time that I speak with a Trump voter because there's a huge gulf here and I want to do what I can to cross it to find a common language. Of course, the problem is not finding a shared humanity. We already have that. But we don't speak the same language right now. We don't trust the same reporting. We might not even acknowledge the same facts. On that note, news outlets right now have a high financial incentive to get you to click on their stories. I'm sure that ad revenues have been through the roof for the past year or so. And there's two examples just last couple days of overblown stories that are coming from the left. I'm sure there are some from the right as well. I just want to give you a couple examples from the left. The first is a supposed Rutgers professor who was silenced, you know, by the police and brought in and made to take a psychological analysis test in a hospital because of some things he had quoted or that he had posted on Twitter. And I looked into this more, you know, and, and the guy's basically saying this is proof positive that Trump's presidency is going to crack down on free speech. But when you think about it, it doesn't hold up. First of all, Obama is president. Second of all, this guy is in a city with a Democratic mayor. And the thirdly, the president doesn't have control over local police departments. So you just have to scratch the surface a little bit to see that this is alarmist reporting and people still get ad revenue when you click on that. It's true. So it's the kind of thing to be careful of. The second one is there is a leak by a person who may end up in the Trump cabinet about them discussing a Muslim database. Now, this is something I've talked about before that I am very concerned about if it is the type of database I'm about to explain. If this is a database where Muslim U.S. citizens are forced to register, that is religious discrimination. It's probably unconstitutional, and it's definitely the kind of thing that I will willingly get behind trying to put an end to. That is not what this is about. They are talking about reopening a database of non-citizen visitors from other countries who potentially overstay their visas. So the people they would be deporting are those who are here too long, longer than their student or uh, tourist visa allows them to be here. Now, you might not think that's a good idea, and that's a conversation that we can have as to whether or not that's possible, but it did go on for like 12 years under Bush, and Obama basically paused it. So, great, let's have that conversation. But Let's not pretend that the people who, like I saw a, a tweet from Dan Pfeiffer from Keeping It 1600. I like Dan. He said, all those GOP officials who resisted Trump's talk about a Muslim database, let's see where they're at today. Let's see how many stand up today. The problem with that is this is not the thing Trump was talking about. So it is unfair to call out elected officials to stand out against something that they weren't talking about during the campaign. Trump did not say, I'm going to reopen this small program that deported 13,000 people over a 10-year period. He didn't. He talked about, you know, millions of Muslim Americans being put into a database. That's just a different thing. Now, of course, we can agree on whether or not we want this 
revitalized program, but let's call a spade a spade. Let's see what we're actually talking about. And we need to be careful about our own confirmation bias. I am going to be easily swindled into thinking that Donald Trump is ruining the Republic and the Constitution, but he might not be. If he is, time to go. If he's not, he's not. So now I'm going to bring you to Ian and I'm going to let him speak for himself. He's a Facebook friend who I've been chatting with a bit since the election results came in. He's been trying to understand the left. I've been trying to understand the right. And we're having a conversation. So Ian, tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you? What do you do for work? Where do you live? Are you married? Do you have kids? That stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, my name's Ian. I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Lived here my entire life, born and raised. I'm 37 years old. Married with two kids, a six-year-old and a two-year-old, two boys. And as far as work, I have been in the swimming pool industry, building swimming pools since I was 17 years old. Nice. Now, you voted for Trump, which is how we got to know each other on Facebook. So I imagine your reaction is going to be a little different than some of the other people who I've asked them their reaction. But what was your reaction to Trump winning? Uh, My initial reaction uh, was a little bit of shock. You know, depending on the sources that you talk to, some people made it sound like Hillary was going to win in a landslide. Some hardcore conservatives said that was false and you shouldn't believe that, but I kind of just tend to stay in the middle until things play themselves out. Yeah. What about your emotional reaction? I mean, surely you would have been happy and relieved, right? Uh, not happy, I wouldn't say. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't feel like, oh, wow, my team won type of feeling thing or anything like that. Uh, and to be completely honest with you, I was not 100% sure I was going to vote for Trump. Okay. That's why I reached out to guys like yourself. Being born and raised where I'm at, the conservative side is pretty much ingrained in me. I kind of know them views and viewpoints. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing about this election with the two polarizing candidates we had, it really forced you to or forced me to really seek uh, information and not just believe you know, what was given to you by the media. Yeah. When I did that, it led me to guys like you. So in your mind, a guy like me doing a podcast and sort of talking through stuff, you don't see that as the media. That's, that's more like a direct communication or or what would you, how would you describe it? I view what you're doing as the anti-media. I don't know if that's accurate. No, this is great. This is great. But so, okay. So why, why, tell me why? Well, because it seems like you just wanted the truth. You know, when I have these discussions with people, at the end of the discussion, I just want to be right. And I want to make our decisions based on what is right for the majority of people. And I don't really care if my way ends up being the right way or not, as long as the end result is we're doing what's best for everybody. Yeah. When you say at the end of the conversation, you just want to be right, you, you want your opinion at the end of the conversation to accord with reality. You want it to be accurate. Exactly. Or if I can expose myself to viewpoints other than mine and realize, wow, some of the things I've been thinking are way off, I'm I'm open to that. My ego is not so big to where uh, I believe everything I think is accurate and everyone has has to think like I do. 
Well, so the interesting thing about an election is uh, we all do that work if we want to. You know, I was doing it, you were doing it. But then there's sort of like a time we have to decide by, right? Right. So um, I, I expect you will continue that work and so will I. And perhaps four years from now, it's not impossible to think that we would have each switched political sides, right? Depending on what we learn and, and how we how we change over time. But so... Come November 8th, you pulled the lever for Trump. And so can you tell us, you know, like what are sort of the big issues? You can name as many or as few as you want that that sort of made you think on balance, I got to vote for this guy in the end. Uh, You know, really what I would really like to accomplish is to bring down the media and how it leans to one side or the other. And that's why I wanted to do this with you, because, you know, it's really hard I reached out to you on Facebook a couple of times and I was really struggling with, you know, you got these people on both sides that are so sure that their point of view and their news is accurate and that the opposite side is so wrong. So, you know, I I looked in a lot of different places. I listened to a lot of your stuff. I listened to a lot of Science Mike. Uh, I listened, I I watched Fox News. I know that's forbidden, uh, but I watched (laughs) CNN as well. Nothing is forbidden here. (laughs) That's good. I, I respect you a lot for that. But it, it really came down to um, I just did not believe that Hillary would be able to make the change that I wanted this country to go in. And it really was about change. And just so you know this about me, I am a registered Republican. I consider myself a independent, but I also voted for Obama. I don't know if that would throw you for a total loop, but no, I that's did. Good. That's really good to know. I mean, you're you're kind of exactly the voter that people are cur- most curious about because especially up in the rust belt states the previous obama voters that went to trump really really did change the election in those states by only you know 20,000 votes here or there but i also think it's not it's not only interesting because of the math of the election but it's interesting because that kind of gets to the the heart of it like you know, a lot of people want to characterize Trump voters as racist, but a lot of those voters voted for Obama twice. And you know what I'm saying? So they can't be so racist that they would not want a black president, at least. I mean, at the bare minimum, you have to acknowledge that. So I want to dig deeper into this. You are a registered Republican, but you voted for Obama. Is it safe to say you voted for Obama because you also wanted a type of change? That's exactly why I voted for him. You know, the first time he ran... His whole campaign was based on change. Yeah. And that's what I wanted. And, and not that Obama and uh, Trump are similar in too many ways. But one thing I do see similar is the fact that they're both running on change. Yeah. So now I want to ask you to get a little more specific. So, you know, we, we can't always verbalize this stuff, but to the extent that you are aware of it, like what are the specific changes you'd like to see in the country? Uh, really, I just would like to see um, people come together. A lot of people claim that the government is divisive and they use these tools to keep us apart. Then it seems like that's fairly accurate with with the news channels, the, the mainstream news. And there's nothing in those news channels that bring people together. As far as what I want to see within the country, I do support a lot of Trump's views on immigration. I believe Immigration is an issue that we need to get a handle on. I do not believe we need to go and round up illegals and deport them. I also do not believe that Trump wants to do that. I don't believe Trump wants to separate families at all. 
Hmm. To my knowledge, I haven't seen or read anything that says he wants to do that. Well, he did claim to want to deport, you know, as many as 10 million people in some of his earlier campaign speeches. And so I think that's the stuff that people are most worried about. But we should say that the other day he did an interview and he said it would be more like maybe two to three million and it would be illegal immigrants with a criminal record. Which, to be fair, is roughly the number of people that Obama has deported, which were also immigrants with an illegal record. So, you know, we might want to have a conversation about we shouldn't do that. But if we're going to have that conversation, at least needs to acknowledge that Obama did do that. Does that accord with sort of what you have seen? Because part of what we're learning is that people on the two sides of America are seeing different things, right? We're seeing different information, different news stories being shared. I have some more questions about this in the future, but is like, is that your impression uh, from what you've read and what you've seen about Trump and his immigration plans, Obama and his immigration past? Yeah, I see similarities. The one thing I'd don't see Obama administration doing as much as enforcing as the laws that do exist. You know, uh, Trump doesn't really talk too much about changing many laws. I've seen him talk more about enforcing the ones that already exist. But I do believe the guy has a good heart, and I believe that he does not want to destroy families. And I believe we as Americans should be able to find a way to properly vet these people and give them the opportunity to become legal. The thought that you could round up however many illegal immigrants are out there and ship them off somewhere, the, the amount of effort and money that would take to do that just seems like you could use that money to help these people get legal and to help these people get on a right path to uh, live in the American dream. So basically, you're saying that like, if, if it were up to you, you would support something like amnesty for illegal immigrants who are currently living here now? As long as they don't have a criminal past, absolutely. Yeah, so for you, the line is criminal record or no criminal record. Exactly. And that's not just illegals coming from Mexico. That's illegals coming from wherever. Yeah, right. Interesting. So uh, I want to ask you for some clarification on a couple things. Earlier, you said the government divides people, and then you kind of seamlessly went into the news channels don't present anything that's unifying. They only present divisive content. So it sounded to me like you think that there is some equality when we think the news news channels and the government are in some way united or they're, they have the same agenda. Because I think that a lot of people would think like the press exists to critique the government. The press doesn't exist as like a puppet of the government. But it sounds like in your mind, they're, if, if they're not the same thing, they're, they're accomplishing the same ends. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, I do believe that the media is a puppet for the government affiliation that they associate with. I do believe the media is bought, and I do believe the media forces the agenda of the people that bought them. Okay, so and- you're, you're saying, you're saying uh, the owners of like a news channel, for instance, have a partisan leaning, and then the reporters have no choice but to, or the editors, or whoever makes the final calls, right, that they serve the partisan agenda of the owner of the channel. Is that what you mean? I do. I do mean that. But where I do kind of conflict in my own head is I'm not sure that those people are doing that because, knowingly doing that, basically. I'm not sure that they know they're being lied to and falsifying information, or if they just believe the information, whether it's false or not, you know. Okay, so just, um, and I, you know, apologies if I'm pressing too hard. I just really am trying to understand this. Can you give me an example of a news story that you saw during 
the campaign that you did not trust? Like just anyone you can think of, take a second if you need. Oh, well, the stories of Trump being racist is about, you know, the biggest one that's out there. I've never seen anything that would tell me Trump is a racist that he has done. If anything, you know, you could almost find signs of racism happening right now under the current government with, you know, with the Indians, how they're being treated with that pipeline and all that stuff. That that seems like a form of racism to me. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point. Um, but I don't I don't want to deflect it to Obama just because I, I just want to kind of get to the bottom of this question about the media, although I actually think that's a really fair point. And actually, you're not seeing I'm not seeing very much pushback toward the administration about the pipeline. But that being said, so there's a claim in the media that Trump's a racist and, and you're basically saying, where's the data? Is, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, me personally, I've never read anything that I would consider him racist. Okay. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, And by the way, I don't think there's like a really strong case that he's a racist as an individual. But let me give you an example of some stuff that people did cite during the campaign. There are lawsuits that he settled, multiple lawsuits against Trump Inc. in like the 70s and 80s, where the company was basically denying access to condos to black families in New York. And he settled those cases out of court. And in the debates, Hillary brought that up. I don't remember which debate it was. And his answer was basically, I settled that in court. Many housing people were also sued for similar things. Therefore, I haven't done anything racist. My first question to you is, did you ever see that story? in your kind of the news that you are reading and you know, what pops up on Facebook for you? Yes, I did. I'm very familiar with the story you're talking about. And this is one of the hangups that I have uh, with where each of us get our news. And when I did digging on that, uh, I found a story about, and you know, this kind of borderlines conspiracy theory stuff. And I do not like conspiracy theories. I'm not on board with most of that stuff. But, you know, I read this whole article about how, that was all – the government was trying to push housing – I forgot what it's called. The government-funded housing. Yeah, subsidized housing in New York. Subsidized housing, yeah. They were trying to push the subsidized housing on the owners of those buildings and that basically it was a government scam to try and push their agenda. So even if you don't buy the conspiracy angle of that wording, right, if it could be shown that what he was in fact doing – was resisting a push for subsidized housing, even like this is where I'm going to kind of agree with you, even if if that's what it was, right, then it actually isn't true that he was trying to keep African-American people from buying condos. What would be more accurate would say he's trying to keep government subsidized housing out of his building. Absolutely. So it's good to separate those things out. Now, we could have a conversation about if wealthy building owners in America have a right to resist government subsidized housing, but I think you and I would agree that's a separate conversation. And to to call that racism, and by the way, I, I haven't read that. I don't know if that's true, for, but for the sake of our conversation, I'm just, let's just grant that the counter argument that you read is accurate. Yeah, I mean, that's not racism. That is maybe classism, or it's a conversation about policy and poverty in America. Exactly. How much government interference do you want 
in your life or in your business. Right. And and what would you prefer the government to do when it comes to subsidized housing in general? And if you find yourself as a person who doesn't agree with that on principle, well, then it's not hard to see why you would then say, you know, those claims about him, that's exaggerated and, and they're trying to find an angle that's not there. So that that's basically that was your take when you when you looked into it. Yes, and and and, I, and I'll be honest, man. I don't dive too too far into that kind of stuff because I feel like you can just like chase it down a rabbit hole on either side, the liberal sure. or the conservative side, and it gets so confusing for me that I'll tend to withhold gaining too much of an assumption off what I read, and that's why when I really do fall back on what I see and hear happening now in the present. Yeah, I mean, it, you're really getting to the one of the hearts of the issue, which is that it's it's very difficult these days to know what information we can trust. And exactly. I, f- I feel that on the left as well. You know, I, I, you know, people are freaking out this week about the appointment of Steve Bannon to White House chief strategist. Um, l- let's talk about that for a second. So have, have you been reading about that? Yes, I have. And okay, give me your give me your take on it. I believe Steve Bannon scares liberals just because he's associated with Breitbart News. I think it's as simple as that, really. So why do you think that Breitbart is scary to liberals? Uh, Because they pose an opposing view. Um, You really couldn't have uh, a different perspective on the current climate of the world than the liberal sites versus Breitbart News. I brought that up to some of my friends because some of the stuff on Breitbart is very, very conspiracy theory stuff, and some of it is way out there. Like so far out there that you know it's it's not very comfortable to me to even believe that's acceptable. Hmm. But you know, I'll ask you this, Dan: Have you ever heard of the Amer- the African Spear? I have not uh, heard of the African Spear. Theafricanspear.com is a political website run by black people. I was turned on to that website because I was really having issues, man, and I had almost a little bit of buyer's remorse. I early voted. So I had voted before, you know, the election day. And I'm not going to lie, man. I had a little bit of buyer's remorse. I questioned, did I do the right thing? You know, was this the right choice for America? And I talked to an African-American friend of mine, and he told me to check out the African Spear. I do not know too much about this website. I do not know all the writers. I've just recently been exposed to it. But when you go to that website, it has got all of the same type of stories that Breitbart News has. So, you know, I'd, I'd highly advise you checking into it just to see if, you know, what you think about it. And I'd love to hear your input on it. But it's got stuff on that website that if I was to just say it, being a white man, I would very much so be labeled a racist. But this is coming from African Americans. So that kind of throws a whole new wrench in the equation to me. What you're saying is, uh, I think what you're saying, and I just I just popped open and looked at the front page for a second. You're saying, look, there's far out there conspiracy thinking, right wing conspiracy thinking on Breitbart, but there's also far out there right wing conspiracy thinking from African American written news sources as well. Well, I'm not saying it's far out there. I'm saying it's out there. It could be accurate, mm-hmm. but for someone to say, hey. I got this news from Breitbart, and then you automatically dismiss it. I, you know, I think it's important to follow it up with, well, then check out this other source, too. It's kind of like I told you the reason I reached out to guys like you for uh, the liberal point of view. I already knew where the, the conservatives stood. So yeah. I felt 
to get a proper education and a proper grounding on where I actually stood, I needed to hear from the liberals. So once I started fact-checking stuff, I also wanted to hear the opposing race's point of view and seeing how much it conflicts. And some the stuff I found, it really doesn't conflict that much at all. You're saying you, you went out specifically to seek like a counter racist view of like blacks being racist towards whites. Uh, and what you found was just kind of similar claims that Breitbart was making in general. Is that, am I understanding you right? No, no more. So I was checking myself to see if I was a closet racist, I guess I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and how did you, so what was the test that you sort of devised to, to figure that out? Well, I started reading up on the African spear and seeing that there's African-Americans that hold the same views as me, and they're not basing their views off the hatred of minorities. They're basing it off the I what see. they deem to be facts, the existing conditions of America today. I see. So you're what you're saying is you noticed political opinions within yourself that were not specifically about race, but you worried that they might be racially motivated. And when you found African-Americans espousing the same views, that made you feel like, oh, they're probably not racially motivated views, right? Exactly, man. Because I've been called, not by my friends and people that I deal with day to day, but you go online and you, you say anything pro-Trump and you're automatically a racist. And your natural instinct is to say, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. But before I just spout off, no, I'm not, I really take a deep step and look in the mirror. And before yeah. I ever use anything of being anything, I want to make sure I'm not being a hypocrite and I'm being as fair as I can possibly be. You know, it's kind of like I'm a big sports fan. And around here in Jacksonville, Florida, you're either a Florida Gator fan or you're an FSU Seminole fan. I listen to sports talk radio. When I want unbiased views of the Florida Gators, I listen to the Florida State Seminole guys because they're not biased. They're just calling it how they see it. When you listen to the Florida Gator guys, they're extremely biased and they're they're pro-Florida. So I don't feel like I'm getting accurate information from them. So I just took that same logic and applied it to politics. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, so here's where I would want to push back. So I'm going to give you like the scenario that I would think someone might offer to you and then I want to hear you respond to it. But by the way, I think I do understand what you were saying earlier. You weren't saying either that Breitbart or African Spear are correct. You were just saying that if they shared the same views and they were of different races, then you concluded that their views were not racially motivated, right? Yes. Okay. So that's good. Just to make sure we're clear on that. So let's say you had a view or you read an article in Breitbart and then I came to you and I said, well, look. Ian, here's this article from the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post or the New York Times, and they hire 20 fact checkers and, you know, they have money to like get into public records. And look, this article contradicts what Breitbart said. And when they when they really dug in, here's what they found. What is your just as a generic version of that? Like, what is what is your reaction before you see any of the content? Just like. How do you react to that if someone were to were to do that? I would have to take a mental note of that, to be honest. I'm not going to form a hardcore opinion based on what I read over there or what I read on the liberal side. But I will make a mental note. Okay, I am very aware that the left thinks this policy right here is racist. Mm-hmm. So if there is ever anything racist that comes up with this policy, 
then I'm going to realize, okay, this was a credible news source. Whoever wrote this is someone I can trust, and I would always consider that source from there on out. So now what I'm trying to get at is like, what news sources do you feel like you can trust? I mean, do you feel like a New York Times reporter is doing good work? Uh, I I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you, Dan. That's fine. I'm I'm so confused. Uh, I'm so conflicted because, you know, I got guys like you who are, you know, hard on the left, but I can tell you're a good dude and you want what's best for the country. Hey now, Ian, I am center left. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) let's get that straight no go ahead sorry no but you know and it's just uh i just have a mistrust of any of those news stations yeah any of the major ones you know i mean you talk to a hardcore hardcore conservative and he's gonna tell you oh don't listen to the washington post don't listen to new york times it's all leaning and you know so it's just like all i can do is read articles from both sides and then evaluate the situation with the life experience i have you know, we, we talk about all this racism. You see all this racism on the news. And, man, I've been in the South my entire life. And in my day-to-day life, I don't see it. I do not see it. I don't know how it is where you are. I don't know if you see race wars breaking out. I mean, don't get me wrong. I see people have issues, you know, but I don't see the KKK rounding people up and having meetings all on my street. I've never been approached by a white man and asked to join the KKK. And so I just I don't see the racism that the media portrays there to be. One thing that I think uh, we're learning, especially as a result of this election um, surprising America is or I think I'm learning this anyway, is that it would be helpful for us to distinguish between racist attitudes of an individual or an organization and systemic injustice that disproportionately affects people of race. Right. So you're talking about you're you're walking around. You don't see people doing openly racist things. You don't you're not getting flyers for white nationalist meetings. I mean, you're not you don't have that experience. But um, for instance, did you listen to the episode that I did with Trisha that was about the systemic injustice in the criminal justice system and education and all that stuff. Did you hear that episode? No, I missed that one. Okay. Just so we can have this conversation, I'm going to throw a few stats out there for you. And then I I just want to know what your reaction would be to stuff like that, which I think is distinct from individual racist attitudes of a person. Right. Right. So so they they did a study and I'm going to maybe botch these. You can go back and listen to them and get them from her for reals. But One of the ones she mentioned is they did this study with uh, lawyers and they sent out this legal memo. So like, you know, a junior clerk has to like write this opinion about a case and put all this information in and they sent it to these established lawyers or professors of law and they had them sort of give their reaction and correct it for errors and, and whatever. And they sent out the exact same report, but the only thing they changed on it was the race of the young lawyer who wrote it. So it was like the same name. It was like Michael Thomas or whatever. And then it would say he's a Caucasian 35 year old, or he's an African American 35 year old. And they found in this study that the grades that the teachers gave the paper were lower for the African-American quote unquote writer than they were for the white quote unquote writer. 
revealing like where everything else is totally identical. And so there's something going on. There's an unknown bias in these established lawyers and professors that's statistically verifiable. Uh, I'll give you one more example. When they study ex-cons who apply for new jobs, when they control for all the factors, right? So same criminal record, they were convicted of the same exact crimes, you know, probably at the same age or whatever. They control for all those different changes. They found that 4% of African-American convicts in some particular category got callbacks for jobs, while 17% of white convicts got callbacks for the same level of crime. So those are the kind of things that we would not call sort of like people being racist individuals, but we would say when you average it out over a whole society, you know, you can see how that stuff starts to pile up and affect people over time, which then affects people's individual chances just because of what they're born into or or whatever, something like that. So now I've just, I'm putting you totally on the spot and I really apologize for that. But when you hear something like that, just give me your honest gut reaction when you, when you, if you hear something like that. Well, I got two. Okay. First off is I believe that stuff exists. I do believe it exists. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that is an American political left or right issue. I believe that is a problem for all of humanity. Okay. I don't think, I don't think this is a problem that limits itself to the USA. You go to any country and there's some form of racism in that country. There's some form of oppression. So this is something that we just need to fix as Americans and throw the political part of it aside. Hmm. And then secondly to that is if that's happening, how does two guys like me and you fix that? Now, I know one way I'm not a business owner, but if I was, I could help contribute to fixing that by hiring people on fair basis, right? Yeah. But because I'm not in that position, really all I can do is treat people fairly when I am put in them situations, I, I have no control over, uh, you know, Joe Blow down the street and how he's going to react to another person. And I don't think it's fair to lump everybody together in the same group like, like that. Yeah. Some of these are difficult. There are like some easy examples like mortgage companies using redlining. Are you familiar with that term? No, I've never heard of that. Uh, where basically, and it's illegal now, doesn't mean it doesn't still happen, but it's now illegal for, for instance, for Wells Fargo to factor in statistically a person's race in whether or not they will approve a loan for them, right? So that's that's now illegal. But that's a pretty good example of like, well, one thing that we could all do is like vote for a law that made that illegal, right? I mean, if there are things that are really practical, you know, you think about um, the civil rights movement in the 60s and Martin Luther King and his movement, they had a very particular act that they wanted to get through Congress to ensure civil rights for all Americans. I think that what gets hard is when we, we don't really know, are we voting for something concrete? Are we voting for something abstract? But would you agree that when there are concrete measures like that, make redlining illegal because that's racist, uh, pass the Civil Rights Act to ensure that segregation ends in the South. Would you say that if, if it were to be clear to you that there were some concrete move like that, that you would be all in regardless of your political affiliation? Uh, yeah, I absolutely would. But 
I mean, are you accusing all white people of that or all Trump supporters of that? No, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just, I'm more trying to get at the difference between when we think about individual attitudes in people versus system-wide problems, right? That's more what I'm trying to get at. And so I'm I'm trying to find common ground where we can talk about system-wide discrepancy and that if there were something clear, like, like if redlining were still legal, you know, could you and I unite on making that illegal because that's clearly racist? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, you know, and I can unite with anybody on anything that should be considered hateful or racist, but there is a fine line. How far can you legislate something before you're actually leaning toward oppressing the side that you're trying to get away from, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, I guess that's a conversation you have to have in general and each time something is put forward. Well, so let's go on that a little bit. So your guy won, right? My girl lost, but what are you, are there things that you're looking out for? You know, you're, you're talking about how, and, and by the way, I really appreciate how you say this. You're taking these mental notes. You do not come across as someone who's just like team Trump train all the way, no matter what you're being thoughtful about what may come and you're trying to be wise. So of those Wait, mental notes, here's something, I'd like, here's something I'd like to consider real quick. Yeah. You know, for the, for the fear that the left has of Donald Trump, you know, some people on the right have that equal amount of fear toward Hillary. Right. Sure. Yeah. You know, and that's something that you always got to keep in mind that, you know, it wasn't just about Trump is the best, you know, Hillary not being a top notch candidate played a lot into it. And like I said, man, I was looking for reasons to not vote for Trump. Hmm. And, and I believe, you know, had pretty much anyone other than Hillary been the Democratic nominee, that they would have had a way better chance of winning. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. Yeah, thanks for noting that. Um, I guess, but my question for you is, being someone who does take these mental notes for later, you know, are there things that you're looking out for, for Trump to do that you would disagree with, and that if he does, then you'll do what is available to you as a a citizen um, to push back against that? Are there specific things you're looking for? No, there's not really anything specific that I'm looking for, because I'm, you know, I'd have to pretend I'm a black man. You know, I don't know what it's like to be a black man. I don't know the oppression that they're feeling unless they verbalize it. And once they verbalize it, I, it's something I can get on board with and support it. I will defend them till the day I die. But I would not pretend to know, you know, what what they're feeling, which is kind of ironic considering a lot of the people that have called me racist are white people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so what about beyond race then? I mean, just like, for instance, there was quite a bit of rhetoric about immigrants and refugees and Muslim Americans. You know, is there anything that you're sort of like, well, first of all, let me ask you, how serious do you think Trump is about that stuff? Like, what do you think he actually thinks about Muslims, for instance? I believe he thinks there's a threat. And I I think that is a very rational fear. We have had, you know, Radical Muslims in our country uh, commit mass crimes. Yeah, uh, I, I really don't believe he thinks it's all Muslims, but you know that you hear the numbers. You talk about oh well, it's only uh, a small percentage of radicalized Muslims are a part of Islam or whatever. And you know, it is a small percentage, but a small percentage of a big number 
is followed by a really big number. You know, they, I think I've seen numbers where they estimate that radicalized Islam is in the 250 million range of people. And then you that's kind of globally. Globally, yeah, absolutely. Not in America. And that's kind of scary when you think about how many people voted for the election. That, you know, that was like, I'm rounding high. Wasn't that roughly like 150 million people? Uh, I think it was like, a, no, like 100 million. <laughs> 130? So, yeah, something like that. So, so there you go. I mean, it seems like there's only 100 million people in our country that, that give a crap to vote one way or the other, but there's potentially all these other millions of people out there who, who do want to harm us. They That's no secret. They state that as their own fact. So if we agree that there are that there is a threat with radical Islam, are you at all worried about the way he talked about it in terms of there is this question of well what's the best way to defend against that, right? I mean that's that's a that's a policy question, I guess. Are you weren't too troubled by sort of his his statements regarding that during the campaign? No, I wasn't in trouble with it, but at the same time, man, and I know this is a a comment that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. That's but okay. I, that's okay. Go for it. I didn't take everything he said literally. No, I no. never take anything any politician says literally because it seems like every year that I've ever voted, every politician has given up something that they promised they would do or change or whatever, and it never ends up coming to fruition. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I, I've said it before, and I'll probably keep quoting it, but there's a great quote that the left took Trump literally but not seriously and the right took him seriously but not literally and that feels really true to me so yeah, that, that feels very true to me as well you're just simply not that concerned that he will do some of the more outrageous things that he said he would do no i'm not because i believe that the good in the american people and i don't believe the american people would sit back and uh, allow him to drag our names through the mud because he doesn't represent donald trump now he represents america hmm. and it is our job every single one of our jobs to hold him accountable but we sh you know we shouldn't be saying oh we got to hold trump accountable we got to hold everybody accountable everyone in congress and we should but i feel like americans for so long have just kind of been had this attitude like oh my vote doesn't matter i don't care washington's going to do what it wants to do you know whatever and you know and you just you turn a blind eye to things for too long and they manifest a life of their own. And I feel like that's what our government has done. And I feel like that's what the people said when they voted. They wanted all new government. Look, it wasn't just Trump who won. I mean, they cleaned house. Yeah. And you think that people voted down ballot for Republicans, meaning sort of the same thing that they meant when they voted for Trump, right? Exactly. Yeah. So... I've only got a few more minutes with you uh, on this conversation. This is fascinating, though, and I really appreciate it. Um, like, if you could, if you could just pinpoint, like, in which way do you feel most misunderstood by people who are coming from the left? Uh, I guess just my overall view of America, okay, uh, you know, and the direction that we want it to go. I really believe we all want America to go in the same direction. We just have different. You know, our GPS is leading us down different paths to get there. Hmm. And I believe it's up to people that have a, a, a platform like yourself to make sure that we are leading each other down the right path. Because, you know, th this this is what's real. 
I'm not being paid by anybody to state my views. Sure. I don't know if you're being paid by anyone to state yours. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, hopefully one day. I'm currently I'm currently time. paying people to edit my views. <laughs> right. Maybe we can yeah. uh, draw up some merch with the uh, Cokehead merchandise. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Cokeheads <laughs> is going to catch on. No offense. Yeah, man. that's probably that's probably going to be frowned upon. <laughs> but you're saying uh, you feel like there's maybe a fundamental lack of a presumption of goodwill between the left and yourself. If I could put it in, you know, snobby elitist terms. No, I don't think there's a lack of goodwill. I just don't believe that the two sides simply agree on how to get there. Yeah. No, I'm saying that people don't, there's a lack that people presume that you share the same goodwill. Yeah. Yes. I would agree with that. Sorry. That was kind of unclear. And then my final question for you is what are you most hopeful about with Trump as president? Uh, I am very hopeful that we will learn the truth about how this government and how this country should be ran. Because there's one thing you can't argue. The two sides are vastly different in their views of how it was going to be ran. Had Hillary won, we wouldn't have this great litmus test that we have in front of us right now. You know, and well, granted, I definitely agree with that. Well, and and I, I hate to say that because you know the people who want to attack will tell you, well, you know, because of your white privilege is the only reason you feel you can make that, you know, you can accept that test. But uh, all I can be is me, man, and all I can vote is what affects me the best. One thing that I really fought with, and, and I'd be interested to hear your, if I could turn in and ask you a question real quick. Sure. What do you believe is our moral responsibility to vote? And, and what I mean by that is I kind of battled with when I go into this to vote, should I vote for what's best for Ian and his family? Or should I vote for what I think is best for the entirety of the country? That's a good question. Um, I also come from a place of privilege. And so I don't feel much of a need to vote for my own interests. I just, there's just like not much that I need. And so I tend to think of it personally as a vote for the best interests of the country. I'll give you an example. If there were, for instance, and I always talk about schools and property taxes. I don't know why I think about this a lot, but you know, my wife and I live in a fairly upscale neighborhood, a city north of Seattle that is 10 miles from downtown. It actually was cheaper for us to move here, but it's mostly older people who are retired or did well, did well financially. And it's largely white and the schools are very highly rated. And the the value of the homes, the homes are bigger because it's further from the city. And just when it was built in the 60s, they were expanding further from downtown Seattle. So the houses are bigger, so they're worth more. So the property taxes are high, right? So that means our schools are really well funded. And if there were, for instance, a measure on the local ballot here, if they're going to take 15% of our city's school funding and send it down to Rainier Beach, you know, in South Seattle, where there's a lot more poverty, I would absolutely vote yes on that, even though that's against my interest, because I think it's in the interest of my city as a whole. And I think it's like this weird, arbitrary benefit that I have of where I happen to live that I don't really think that my kid should get that benefit over that other kid in Rainier Beach in terms of funding. So in that sense, I would vote for the greater good. But then, of course, there's always some self-preservation. Like, I want a fair country so that democracy doesn't fail, right? I mean, I like, I want it long-term, whatever I think is best for the country is probably best for me too. So I don't want to 
paint it just like do-gooder. But that's kind of how I think about it. What did you come to when you, as you cast your vote? Uh, I thought similar to you, uh, very, very similar to you, actually, that it's not about me. It's about what's best for the majority of people. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, a lot of people would disagree with me, but, you know, with, with the threat of Hillary talking about open borders and stuff, uh, I think that's a danger to America. I don't think that that's a good thing for anyone. Well, dude, uh, I am out of time. I have to hop on to another interview and there's so much more to talk about. I hope that we can keep this conversation going and possibly have you back on. We obviously came to different conclusions about the candidates and that reveals we also have really different opinions about a lot of these questions, but I think that's fine. That's the point of democracy. And I'm just very grateful that you're willing to come on here and help us get a better understanding of where you're coming from. So thank you very much, Ian. No, I appreciate you, man. And I appreciate you asking me. I'm willing to offer my opinion on things anytime you need it. And I really respect what you're doing. You know, I believe it's up to guys like you uh, to, to really try to be that unbiased news and just get the truth out to people, man. That's what's most important is that we just make informed decisions and we make informed decisions after we've processed all the information, not the information just comes from the people we want to hear it come from. Well, I could hardly say amen louder to anything than what you just said right there. So, all right, Ian, you have a good night, man. Thank you. All right, buddy. You too. Thank you guys for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter, Dan, K-O-C-H. You can check out previous episodes. You can go to depolarizedpodcast.com for show notes on previous episodes. You can email me at depolarizedpodcast at gmail.com. And you can join the growing and lively Facebook discussion group. It's called Depolarized Podcast Discussion Group. It's been a really beautiful place. Um, It's been beautiful that people have been going there to share their thoughts and their concerns with each other and trying to find common ground together. We'll see you guys on Monday morning with a new episode.